Hello, world. It's time to cue the coach. The world we are living in today has been spiraling out of control for decades in such a way that we are all losing our minds, risking our health daily, and choking on the ashes of a dying paradigm. You don't want to continue living in fear or in conformity to someone else's version of reality, do you? I know I'm done, and I've been done for quite some time now. Wellness needs an advocate. Holistic health, that is. It's time that we rise to the challenge of creating a brand new world with the fiery passion of a phoenix rising from the ashes. What beautiful essence do you possess that this world desperately needs? On this podcast, that is what we are here to find out. Together, let's unlock the pure potential from within. And as Gandhi said, let's be the change we wish to see in this world. And here we go. Episode four, emotional trauma. Once again, hello out there, you beautiful souls. Welcome to another fantastic episode of Cue the Coach. Are you ready to take your life deeper down the rabbit hole today to uncover your unique gifts? We've covered a great deal so far, and I decided that the last episode needed a follow-up. We talked about differentiating between feelings and emotions on that last episode and on how the collective mind of society seems trapped in emotional overload. And I provided some suggestions there on how to begin thinking in a new way so that we may alter our emotional states. It's one thing, however, to be equipped with the tools to do so, and quite another to have the tools and yet struggle to benefit from them. So in my story, I talked about living with extreme irrational fear in my childhood, and yet I didn't explain in that episode how fully I overcame that, and that was from episode one. So let me tell you not only how I did that, but how anyone can do so. Most of us grow up experiencing emotional trauma such as this, and we never learn how to move beyond it. In fact, some of us don't even realize how these traumas continue to invade several areas of our life. We don't realize, for example, that how we were raised by our parents isn't as important as the example our parents set for us on what love is, what a healthy romantic relationship is, or what boundaries are. It's the example of their actions and words, or lack thereof, that we see and we experience that shapes our unique personal realities as we continue to develop and grow. Often what I've noticed is that as children, we determine what about how our parents live their daily lives or how they've raised us, what we dislike or even hate. We'll say things like, I will never treat my children like this. I will set a much better example. I will never, never become my parents. Then, despite all efforts, even if the situations are slightly different in our own personal lives when we're the adults being the parents, we may easily repeat those very same patterns or create new destructive patterns as we struggle to control ensuring we are nothing like our parents. It's a drama that plays out constantly, but even more importantly, subconsciously. So how do I get through this, or how did I get through this myself, right? I realized that your life and my life don't contain the very same experiences. 
However, I invite you to keep an open mind and identify the commonality, not to focus on the differences here because that's what this is about. This is about finding your way, finding your, your taking, taking these concepts and finding a way to put it into your own life and your specific situations. We're all different. So for me, my mother, that, that relationship was the most challenging for me. So my mother was afraid of death, afraid of pain, of emotion, of any kind, unless it was happiness and joy. Poverty, she was afraid of being alone, and especially she was afraid of the unknown. I didn't understand this at an intellectual level while I was being raised by her, but I just knew that she had no patience for anything and that she was always angry. I was afraid to disappoint her because then I would get yelled at, got things taken away, and got hit by her with her hand or a wooden spoon. And the same thing happened to my friends when they got into trouble, as many of us did in my day. So I just thought it was normal. It was just part of what we go through, dealing with having parents and being unruly children. <laughs> so this is what I learned, though, by watching my mother's example. I shouldn't do anything that might cause others to get angry at me, or I would experience their rage and punishment. I learned that anger is how to deal with anything I don't like, and that I should resolve all disputes by getting into violent arguments until everyone cries and then we can hug and kiss and make up. I felt that life was mostly just a series of disappointments with a few excitable happy moments sprinkled in between. And I learned that strong emotions associated with disappointment were created by people and situations outside of me. To my mother, she was always waiting for the other shoe to drop. This was all unhealthy processing at this point, I know. But as a kid, this was my initial interpretation. I was always afraid of failure and disappointment. I remember seeing other kids in school and comparing my life to theirs. I mean, haven't you done that, right? You look, look and say, man, I wish I had those nice clothes, or I wish my parents drove that car, or I wish my parents drove me to school every day, right? I would see these parents dropping their kids off, smiling, kissing their foreheads, and telling them to have a great day. And those kids looked so happy. And in my mind, their whole life was happy just because of the appearance. Meanwhile, my mother would send me off to school after rushing to get ready for work every day and yelling at me if I got in her way or made any type of mess on the way out the door. Her last words were often, I better not come home to a mess tonight or there will be hell to pay. <laughs> and don't forget your keys. You'd lose your head if it wasn't screwed onto your body. I wasn't often given a hug on the way out the door or a kiss on the forehead and told I was loved, maybe for a very brief moment, unless my mother was in a great mood and I was really a good boy the night before. So this is just one example of many that I allowed my brain to replay over and over again in my daily experiences. By the time I was a teenager, the only way I knew how to deal with my emotions was to express them when it was safe to do so. The problem there was I never felt safe. As a result, I only expressed my emotions when I was paralyzed in fear and had no choice that just emanated from me, or when I had reached a boiling point of anger within and I just freaked out and cried or screamed and yelled and pouted. Now, the example was that I bury my emotions out of fear and then counteract that fear by acting out to get in trouble or explode in anger until I either got my way or was redirected to happy emotions from some reward. 
some external reward. If I behaved, in other words, I became compliant. I received a reward. When I misbehaved, I got yelled at and hit. Now, it didn't have to be right or wrong. I just had to accept my mother's views and comply. This is the way my sisters and I were raised, but what my sisters had learned that I didn't really learn too well, that kept them safer than I, was they would come home from school, eat dinner, and pretty much go to their rooms and study and do homework, often with loud music on. And occasionally they went out with friends, especially my sister, Lori, who was closer to me in age. Um, she definitely still had her moments of fun, but she balanced things out so much more easily than I did. I couldn't understand how she could balance all these things out and not get herself into too much trouble, not as much as I did anyway, and how my other sister could just focus on her studies and, and stay vigilant and, and building her life. You know, I always admired that. But, you know, so some reason I, for some reason I chose the more difficult path and just looked for attention through getting in trouble. And I also never had the privacy of my own room with a door to hide in for most of my life, really. I mean, my, my bedroom in the house that I grew up with was a, it was a, a room that used to be a dining room that was in between the kitchen and the living room. And there was like a, a sheet or a, a wooden door, you know, a, like a wooden folding door there from, from what I remember. Um, but my mother would just pop it open. There wasn't a knocking and, you know, are you, are you decent? What are you doing in there? Just let herself in. So I just, I never felt like there was any place I could escape at home I, and it just didn't help. So, you know, all the while, you know, my, my sisters seemed to view this as me being my mother's favorite and that I got more attention than they did, but I just wish she would stop yelling so much and would just happily love me that I didn't have to worry about her being angry all the time. The way I saw it, I was just a constant disappointment that could never do anything right. And my sisters didn't need the discipline because they were always good. I was bad. That was the subconscious emotion I was living in. That was the, the torment I allowed myself to sit in. So then as an adult, I was an adult for only a year before I was with my first, you know, serious relationship that became my first marriage um, after my girlfriend had gotten pregnant with my son. But it, it was doomed from the beginning because I didn't take the suggestion of staying away from women for the, the first year out of rehab. And uh, so I, I just, I didn't resolve any of that, any of the stuff from the childhood. So I hadn't resolved the fear. I hadn't resolved the, the anger. I hadn't developed any type of coping skills whatsoever to get through arguments in any healthy way. So I just yelled and screamed every time there was a disagreement with my wife. And when I disappointed her, I was living my life only to try and please her. And when I failed, I'd get angry again and make every situation work. Or, excuse me, I'd make every situation worse. It would have been nice if I made it all work, right? And then at work, I was constantly stuffing down my emotions from disappointing my boss or resenting being told what to do by anybody, resisting authority at all costs because I was so... I felt like I was so authoritatively oppressed as a child. I second-guessed every choice I made and overanalyzed every choice I made, worrying myself sick every time. I had literally become my mother, really. I was a ball of anger, anxiety, and fear on a daily basis. So this and many other emotional dysfunctions were crippling my ability to live a happy, healthy life. 
I was trapped in what I now know to be a codependence in a big way. My analytical faculties were hijacked by the emotional trauma I experienced growing up or the emotional trauma that I put myself through. And if I continued to live this way, everything in my life would feel like suffering, fear, anger, and disappointment. And it took a long time to get, get through that. So before arriving at the rehab that I was at at, at age 19, I didn't, I didn't know that I had the option of removing the lenses in which I saw my life and putting a new set of glasses on to look at, that, at the world. I felt like I was a prisoner to my emotions and I felt doomed to attract codependent narcissistic partners that would reinforce my eyesight through the old lenses. This happens to so many of us. Most often we only learn how to get through another day, controlling our emotions through outside stimulation. As I said, my story might be different than yours, but perhaps you can relate to feeling stuck as a prisoner to an upbringing you wish was better. We can't change the past, but we can change how we look at it. And we can transform the way in which we experience the memory of it. And there is exactly where the solution lies. Getting through the other side of this for me wasn't as simple as taking anxiety meds and going to a therapist to talk about my problems. And I'm by no way minimizing that some people may need medications to get through some of the horrible trauma or the inability to, to handle their emotions because of the way that they developed as children. You know, they, it, it's not easy to get through this stuff. So I would never, ever minimize this for people. But for me, if I had gone in that moment and sought out medication and therapy, being somebody who was prone to addictive behaviors, I would probably just be a zombie and intentionally say that it wasn't doing enough for me just so I could get a higher dose of medication. And I really would have just exacerbated things for quite some time. So I'm thankful that that wasn't the solution for me, that wasn't presented to me even. Because if it was made that way, I might have chosen that option. I might not have even thought to do what I did think to do next when I was in rehab. And that's choosing to rebuild my life from the ground up. Instead, I did learn that my life was like a rickety old house in the ghetto. The foundation was weak. The rooms were filled with negative energy and charged emotion. The roof was leaking from my tears and my anger and my lack of any type of feeling of safety. I had no sense of faith and no sense of safety at all. And so this whole foundation, this whole house was, you know, uneven, cracked in half, unstable. I mean, I was raised in a divorced home when I was five years old. My parents got divorced and it just, nothing seemed like it was together. So taking anxiety meds and seeing a therapist for me at that point would have been like hiring an unlicensed contractor to fix and repair a home that needed to be torn down and demolished. Without this complete overhaul, my house, my life, would only be patched with quick fixes and unstable mortar. Just this concept alone was enough to set me up for a paradigm shift. When we change the way we look at anything, the things we look at change. I've heard that said many, many times before by many different people. But it's something I heard long ago, and I found it to be profoundly true. 
When we change the way we look at anything, the things we look at change. So I took this concept. I began to look at life as something to build from the ground up, a fresh start, keeping an open mind to the possibility that everything I knew to be true could be a lie. I began to realize that my emotions are not me, the real me anyway. They are only a part of my expression. They're just a record of my feelings blended with how I thought about my past experiences. That's all they are, which means they're always available to change with new experiences. I didn't even really know who I was, you know, what my own idea of life could be. I'd been defined by my emotions that were stuck within me up to this point because of the way in which I interpreted my past. I couldn't break free from my past by thinking about it in the same way. Doing so would have propelled me into further chaos, and I would have continued to stuff my emotions down with the drugs, right, and stuff outside of myself, living just a mediocre life. I knew I wanted more than that. I've never wanted just a mediocre life. And as a kid, I was a huge dreamer. I, I constantly sat there and just dreamed about things, but I had no idea how to make them into a reality until I started started understanding this step, building the foundation, pouring this whole new foundation, building this whole new structure of my life. So this is how I actually built that structure for me. What follows here is a, an interpretation of the 12 steps process used in NA, AA, OA, and GA. These are all anonymous addiction programs that, that help people through you know, getting, getting into a recovery position. I realize not everyone gets to see this lens to look at life through, though. In the near future, I'll create a workbook, actually, that uses similar guidelines to the 12-step process, but because it's so incredibly powerful, you have no idea how powerful it is. If you haven't actually gone through it and actually really worked through it to do the fundamental changes, you're missing it. I mean, the sad truth is that a lot of people that go through these anonymous programs don't stay clean or they don't stay healthy or they don't do the, the things that the 12 steps help them to use to transform their life. They just, it's easier to fall back on the old habits and the old patterns. And that's why it's called addiction in the first place. You're, you're addicted to staying stuck in that past. So here's what I learned from the 12 steps. And, I, and I'm, I'm talking about it from a perspective of what I learned about what I can change in my life. Because it really wasn't, even though I was in a Narcotics Anonymous program, even when I got there, they told me that this program is not a program about drugs. This is a program about recovery. It even says that in the literature. It's not about just getting clean. You know, I remember one time somebody told me that, you know, what do you get when you take the drugs out of an asshole? You have a drug-free asshole. <laughs> and I thought that was pretty interesting and pretty funny. And, and ironically, incredibly true. There was a lot of people that I met over the years that just refused to actually work this program in any other way other than just staying clean one day at a time. And they were still complete assholes. You know, and that, that's, that's not something I wanted either. You know, fortunately for me, I, I intentionally sought out people that were deeply spiritual and deeply working the program and working the steps. And, and I just wanted to hold on for all of it. So what I learned is that I was powerless over taking charge of my life with the coping skills I developed 
up to that point. They would never work long enough for me to be grateful for my life or to make forward progress in it or for me to stay clean. I learned that I had to find a belief in a power greater than what I called me. I realized I had to resolve my ideas and concepts surrounding a higher power and God. And I had to invite and attract healthy people and influences into my life that would support this new understanding. It was truly a call to reconnect with my essence beyond the ego for guidance. And the most rewarding part of this process, once that foundation was poured, was to take a full inventory of my life, how I looked at fear, anger, resentment, guilt, shame, procrastination, and other negative emotional processes, as well as how I viewed and experienced trust, hope, faith, love, compassion, joy, and other positive emotional states. I literally wrote out every experience I could remember that had significant impact on these emotional states. Now, in Narcotics Anonymous, these were referred to as assets and defects, but I prefer to look at them as the human experience, right? Because it's not bad to feel anger, for example, but anger in my case was often misplaced out of appropriate time and was compounded by the trauma I had experienced. I learned to see that I was seeing the world as I was. I was not seeing the world as it was. There's a big difference there. My perceptions of anger, love, trust, and fear were all tainted by my personal misunderstanding. And just so was joy and love, right? I had no idea what love was. I thought I did. But I figured out that I really didn't. I, I, I understood that I understood addiction and lust. I didn't quite understand love until that point. So this was huge for me to grasp. And just by calling attention to my perceptions of these things, I began to alter it with my newfound hope. Then, now having a positive influence in my life that I trusted, I shared this entire life story or personal inventory with this person I trusted. And any of this helped because the person I trusted was my sponsor. And in this program, a sponsor is typically someone who will intentionally take on the role of a guide through the 12 steps and to be a trusted advisor. So it was very helpful. Having gone through this process already themselves, they usually have great experience and wisdom to share. So that all being said, I began to understand how that I had these defects of character, meaning I saw how my views of each asset or defect or with each positive emotional experience or negative emotional experience may have been twisted. And I learned which coping skills I had were causing negative experiences to repeat in my life due to this twisted perspective. Then, because I developed an understanding that God wasn't a punisher of sins, but was a rewarder of overcoming challenges... I prayed and trusted that this God would remove my shortcomings associated with my twisted perspective. Through meditation, I learned how to pray and then sit silently, awaiting answers from God to guide me into changes I needed to make. Now, if God isn't this for you, you're missing the most fundamental gift bestowed upon humanity. I urge you to speak to me in some way if you are not connected to God in a daily way in which it satisfies your connection to life. Often we're just so wrapped up in whatever the dogmas are that we're taught and we completely miss that spiritual understanding beneath it. I'm going to go through a whole episode on that in, in future episodes somewhere. Uh, I'm not sure where yet, but uh, it's really important, especially when you're going through work and you want to transform your ego, transform what you've built as to who you are. It's fundamental, it really is, to understand that there's this power greater than you and that you can connect 
to it and allow it to work through you. So after I understood that and I was ready to have those shortcomings of these human experiences transformed, I then learned to make a list of all people I had harmed or believed I had harmed as a result of my past coping strategies and addiction, and I received guidance on how to make amends to them. Most importantly, I learned how to forgive myself and to accept that I am human. This exercise taught me to be less hard on myself and less hard on others. I learned that resentment was like drinking poison and expecting the person I'd resented to die from it or at the very least suffer from my disappointment. I began to truly desire being free of resentment. I also learned from a beautiful book called Radical Forgiveness how to forgive my mother for everything I perceived that she did wrong. I learned to imagine my mother, my own mother, as a child that she too was raised unconsciously. I realized that she only raised me in the way that she knew how, from her own parents. My grandmother was an alcoholic for much of her life and was always driven by emotion, especially anger, judgment, and fear. Her father worked often and was rarely home with her. She was the only girl with two brothers that she often felt like she was competing with for my grandmother's attention. She grew up poor with a poverty consciousness. But most importantly, when I started to go through this forgiveness process, and I did, I, I actually, because, I, because of the way that the steps were designed, I, I was able to find out what made me tick and what made my perceptions so twisted that I started to understand that so much of it came from my, from my upbringing, from watching my, my parents' experience of life and trying to mimic that the best I knew how growing up. But once I learned how to start forgiving myself and I started understanding that I'm human and that I just, I have the opportunity to start over, I realized that I was blessed with this opportunity to start over, but that my parents maybe did not have that opportunity or never felt like they did. Not the same opportunities I was afforded anyway. So this allowed me to not only see like where my mother was coming from and what she went through and to feel deep compassion for her for that like to really really feel like man she she had it tough she didn't have it easy she didn't have it any easier than than you know she had it she certainly tried to make us have a life that was a little easier than what she had so most importantly then after that I I, I realized she did love me she tried her best to be a good mother until the day she died she really did she was a really emotionally connected woman I started to remember the good things Holidays were vibrant and alive because of her. We always had things she couldn't even afford, and we went on vacation every year to the Jersey Shore, and we were members at the local town pool every year. So we, we got plenty of experience of fun. We had tons of things to do. You know, I had plenty of time to go out and spend time playing with my friends growing up and things like that. So it wasn't all bad. It started shifting my perception because I started paying attention. With, you know what? There was some really good things that I just kind of lost connection with. You know, and I remembered cuddling up with her and watching TV and eating ice cream at night, getting ready to slowly drift off to sleep. You know, so there, there was some definitely incredible memories. And I still do those things with my, my kids today. You know, cuddling up with my kids while they're eating ice cream and watching a movie together is like literally the best thing on the planet. <laughs> Seriously. Um, so I'll never forget that. 
So this is just one of the relationships in my life that was transformed through a new perspective. So I truly forgave my mother for all of her shortcomings that I had, as I had begun to, done with, to do with my own. And after the step of amending my wrongdoings and misconceptions, I began to see life every day through a new set of lenses. I began to real, rebuild my life on a foundation of spiritual principles and a brand new faith in God and the power of intentional right action. My emotional landscape was changing. I shed so many tears over the years. I learned to laugh at myself and to free emotional blockages from my body. I began to intentionally live a life of my choosing. And any of us can do that. We just have to have the right frame of reference and really good people to uplift us. And that is possible. You just have to find a way to reach out for that and attract it by actually having the desire to do so. So then after I did all of that, I deepened my meditation practice and I continued to develop a greater understanding of spiritual principles and of the God of my understanding here. And I then spent many years sponsoring other men, guiding them through this very same process. I learned through doing this that my desire in life, my deepest desire, was to help others. And I wanted to help those who never even might step foot in a 12-step program, as I said earlier, to understand life from this perspective, which is, again, why I'm here delivering this podcast to you. I wanted to go beyond the walls, beyond, beyond those spots where I, I just I felt like I really wanted to help people that wanted to be helped and that were not stuck in that small percentage of people that stayed clean and recovered. So if you're constantly running up against brick walls in your life, you're stuck in addictions, or you can't see that your own feelings and emotional traumas are getting in the way, I'm here to help. I'm here to help you figure that out. I'm here to help you find a way through. Now, if it's beyond what, what I can help, help you with, you know, if a therapist is needed, for example, or medication, I can help you find a good therapist. And, and get you headed in that direction if you so choose. Perhaps, though, just perhaps, a thorough walkthrough of this process can lead you to new horizons as well. So please reach out to me at cuethecoachyahoo.com, subscribe to this podcast, and keep on listening. Write a review. Please write a review. And uh, rate the podcast as well. On my next episode... Our next episode, we're going to explore how the body itself is a record of the past, the end result of your thoughts, your attention, your emotional baggage, and lastly, yes, lastly, the food you can eat and the exercise you are getting or not getting. I'll point you towards the most logical process to transform your body into one you can truly desire. So that is all. That is it. That's all, folks, as... I grew up hearing Elmer Fudd. Gotta love that. And most importantly, namaste. Thank you, everybody. Have a great day.